just going to be this one. Okay. It says flag and memorial picture. I already put it in there. And then you won't go to slide two until I tell you slide okay. two. Until, well, not tell you to, until we get to that line. We're certainly glad to have you here on this Memorial Day weekend. This time I usually, in these patriotic services, will be mindful of those who are our service men and women, but on Memorial Day, we're always careful to remember that Memorial Day is not about the living. It's about those who have given their lives in service to our country and in defense of all that we know and love. And so certainly we are grateful on Veterans Day in November. Uh, we make sure to certainly highlight and we don't want to mitigate or minimize your service. And we thank each of you for that. But on this Memorial Day, we are thankful for those who have served. And for those who have sacrificed the ultimate price for us. You know, when we begin to minimize and marginalize what good men and women have done in service to our country, that is the day that we cease to exist or be worthy of existing as a nation. When we forget those who have paid the price for us. Well, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 is where we will be this morning on this Memorial Day. And we'll see how this ties together, I believe, very appropriately as we honor the values, the creed, and the ethos that men and women have given their lives for in this nation and what we as Christians ought to be living as well. It's a victorious verse. It's a joyful verse. In verse number 11 of Revelation chapter 4, it is a scene in heaven. And it is a song that those of us who know Christ as our Savior will be singing, not just for the rest of eternity, but it will be a theme of eternity. It will be the song that we sing. The Bible tells us if we pick up our reading in verse number 9, when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne. Those four and twenty elders are a representation of the Old and the New Testament. The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles of the New Testament, they are representative for us of those who will be bowing down before the king in heaven. And cast their crowns before the throne, saying, verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Father, help us, I pray, this morning as we... Remember, not just the sacrifice of so many men and women for this great nation of ours, but the sacrifice ultimately of Jesus Christ and the glory, honor, and power we give back to you for who you are. Bless us, I pray, in this hour, in this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. What is Memorial Day? Do you know why we celebrate? And I heard last night a wonderful statement from Brother Bill. We don't celebrate Memorial Day, but why is it then that we commemorate or observe this day? Well, its or origins are found all the way back at the end of the Civil War. Of course, it ended in the spring of 65 and 1800. In the mid-1860s, a group, interestingly enough, of freed slaves in Charleston, South Carolina, began the practice of decorating the graves of Union and Confederate soldiers. You want to talk about forgiveness? 
being able to decorate those who are deceased. Talk about being able to overcome disagreement. In 1866, in Columbus, Mississippi, the, woman, the women of the town of Columbus, who had served as nurses, it was a medical town during the Civil War, began decorating the graves as well of Confederate and Union graves. The gesture so moved Francis Miles French, a Massachusetts native and a reporter for the Atlantic Monthly, that he wrote the famous poem, and I will read it for you this morning. It's called The Blue and the Gray. Who have ever heard the poem, The Blue and the Gray? Not many of us. Here's what he wrote by being moved so much in the commemoration and memorials of that time. He said, by the flow of the inland river, whence the fleets of iron have fled, where the blades of the grave grass quiver, asleep are the ranks of the dead, under the sod and the dew, waiting the judgment day, under the one the blue, under the other the gray. These in the robings of glory, those in the gloom of defeat, all with the battle blood gory, in the dust of eternity meet. Under the sod and the dew, waiting the judgment day, under the laurel the blue, under the willow, the gray. From the silence of a sorrowful hours, the desolate mourners go, lovingly laden with flowers, alike for the friend and the foe. Under the sod and the dew, waiting the judgment day. Under the roses, the blue. Under the lilies, the gray. So, with an equal splendor, the morning sun rays fall, with a touch impartially tender on the blossoms blooming for all. Under the sod and the dew, waiting the judgment day, broidered with gold, the blue, mellowed with gold. The gray. So when the summer calleth on the forest and field of grain, with an equal murmur falleth the cooling drip of the rain, under the sod and the dew, waiting the judgment day, wet with the rain, the blue, wet with the rain, the gray. Sadly, but not with upbraiding, the generous deed was done in the storm of the years that are fading. No braver battle was won under the sod and the dew, waiting the judgment day, under the blossoms, the blue, under the garlands, the gray. No more shall the war cry sever, or the winding rivers be red. They banish our anger forever, when they laurel the graves of our dead. Under the sod and the dew, waiting the judgment day. Love and tears for the blue, tears and love for the gray. A poem that certainly could unite a nation and could help the healing process, all because of the fact of commemoration, memorializing those who had given their last full measure for the cause that they believed in. It was actually Waterloo, New York, that was designated as the first whole community to decorate the graves of the Civil War and are recognized by the federal government for bringing the commemoration into being. May 5, 1868, General John Logan chose May 30th as the first official decoration day since no battle of the North or the South was fought or marked in their calendars for that day. Interestingly enough, tomorrow Memorial Day falls on May the 30th. It, and it alone, according to General Logan, could stand as a day of remembrance and memorial. As the years have gone along, we've certainly had many more wars and conflicts where we have added sorrowfully to the commemoration process. I know many of you will take trips or find yourself in cemeteries tomorrow remembering family and loved ones, perhaps even fellow fighting soldiers who served alongside you in battle defending this nation. I asked a long time ago, why poppies are the flower of choice to be laid on the gravestones? 
The answer is an obvious one if you know history, and I had to learn it myself several years ago. From World War I, the poem in Flanders Field, written by a field surgeon who was seeing the carnage and hell of war, John McRae wrote these words. In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow between the crows row on row that mark our place, and in the sky the larks still bravely singing fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunsets glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders Fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe, to you from failing hands we throw, the torch be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders Fields. From this poem, many have taken poppies to memorialize the fallen sacrifice on Memorial Day. <clears throat> Why is it important, knowing its origin? It is important as a day of remembrance, a day of reflection, and a day of reality. We do not celebrate Memorial Day. We commemorate and we observe it. It is a solemn observance. Does anyone know the time in which you're to stop tomorrow and pay attention to those who have given their lives in defense and protection of what we hold dear? Three o'clock. For one minute, you're to remain silent and show honor and respect at 3 p.m. You know, the Bible says much about sacrifice. I would be remiss, by the way, to note this morning, not all sacrifice is done with death on the field. I was horrified to find and to come to know that 22 veterans per day, 22 soldiers, sailors, marine, and airmen will take their lives by suicide because of the conflicts and ravages of war that they have seen. There's much that we as a nation can do to heal, and it has nothing to do with politicians or Washington, D.C. It has to do with remembering those who have served. John 15 and verse 13 certainly is a verse that applies to Jesus Christ, and he himself is quoting it, but it certainly is fitting on a day like today. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So what are we to make then of sacrifice? That is where we will pivot this morning into our preaching and the message that we will be looking at. Yes, it's still in the series of different homes, but this morning we're going to be looking at the responsibility of our ethos or the ethics by which we guide ourselves. Why would a man lay down his life? Why would a woman sacrifice herself? The answer is found in what they believe, what they value. We sing of their ethos in the second stanza of America the Beautiful. It says this, O beautiful, for heroes proved in liberating strife, who more than self their country loved. And mercy, that means mercy for those who are inflicted. Mercy more than life. Every soldier, every sailor, every marine, every airman knows for what they die. They died for country, for family, for God, and yes, even the American ethos. By ethos, I mean the creed or values by which we live our lives. For the military, there was a great quote by General Douglas MacArthur. It was in his final speech that he ever gave, and it was at West Point. I won't give the whole speech to you. I loved it as a 
former communications major in college, I was required to give speeches. I always pick speeches from Patton and MacArthur and people like that because as a kid being raised, it's what my dad taught me to love and to know. It codifies what we usually call the most famous ethos for so many soldiers and what they've considered their guiding light in all that they do. And that is this. He concluded his speech by saying, duty, honor, country. That's what motivated, he said, the branches of the military and the service members as they served all of us so well. It is, in fact, interesting if you go out and study this concept of an ethos, each service branch has their own core values or an ethos for which those service members sign on. Now, this is where I can make it a little humorous this morning. I can go and ask a Marine or I could ask some Army uh, soldier or I could ask a Navy uh, midshipman if they could give to me the core values of their branch of service. Now, by raise of hand, those who have served, how many of you could give me your core values? Two are bold enough to say. Here's the problem, by the way. They've recently started to monkey with them and modify them a little bit. They used to be a lot easier. God bless those in the Army. My dad was 27 years in the Army and Army Reserve. They now have seven core values. I mean, good luck to you, right? If you can remember the perfect or magnificent seven here. Here, by the way, is the Army's core values, their ethos that, makes the, or the, that operates or, or motivates them as they go. Loyalty, duty, respect, selflessness. Honor, integrity, courage. Man, that's a pretty good list. Praise God for every person who signs on to such a creed, to such an ethos. The Air Force makes it a little simpler. You would think for such complicated souls who can fly that it would be a little more complex, but it simply is this. Integrity, service, excellence. Can I tell you? I would very much appreciate excellence from one of my Air Force members. I do not want, the, want them bombing or shooting the wrong thing. Their ethos guides who they are and what they become. The Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard have a shared value, creed, and ethos. It is simply this, Marines. Honor, courage, commitment. Honor, honor courage, commitment. There's my Marine. <laughs> Pam got a smile from ear to ear out of that. Honor, courage, commitment. By the way, for those of us have, who have not served in uniform, there is an American ethos. It's stated succinctly for us by Thomas Jefferson in the first sentence of the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. After declaring that we are impelled to separate, that's what the first paragraph of the Declaration is, why we must separate from the crown, what does the first sentence say? We hold these truths to be self-evident. Self what truths are they? In other words, you could go on and say, this is our ethos. This is our American ethics, if you will. This is what we believe at our core. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with what? Certain unalienable rights. That means they can't be separated from us. That among these are, the three enumerated are what? Life. Liberty, pursuit of happiness. Every single American knows that. Now, they may be corrupted and they may be co-opted by evil, wicked, and pernicious men and women who are politicians. 
But you cannot change what the ethos is of our great nation. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We believe in the right to life for all beings, born or not. We believe in the right to liberty, that is self-governance or freedom. Sometimes we call it freedom, but the truth is we are entitled to liberty. That's our ethos. Liberty is not something that runs amok and runs over someone else. Liberty is you living freely within self-control. The less we have self-control, the more we need a big government. The more we exercise self-control, the less we need of a big government. Third and finally, we find in that statement, we believe in the right to pursue happiness within our rights, equality and justice. You have the equal right that I do to pursue the things that you enjoy, so long as yours do not infringe upon mine. Equality and justice. If good men and women are willing, though never wanting, to lay down their lives for these American values, then the American ethos must be quite important. Memorial Day is a day to reflect and remember those who willingly laid down their lives for our country. It causes me to consider then for what and who we are as Christian Americans are is there a heavenly ethos that we are to be living by? Is there an ethos that is to guide us? What purpose are we to demonstrate? What is it that we are to accomplish as believers in Jesus Christ? Well, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 gives us, I think, three values, three statements of truth that will provide for us an ethos to live by so that our homes as Christian American homes can be different. Revelation 4 articulates what our ethos is as living memorials of God today. This ethos should be the cause for which you are willing to both die and more importantly live for as a Christian. We find in verse 11 that God has created us and he's created us for one intent. Look at it with me. He's created us at the end of the verse for his pleasure. How important do you think you are? Well, it's kind of two sides of one coin. On one side, God made you specifically who you are, so you're very, very important. But may I say, never forget what your purpose is. It's just to please God. Feels good to be a created being, doesn't it? Until we forget who our creator is. And we fail to serve him. God created us for his pleasure. The fact that he is the creator makes him worthy then of three fundamental truths to be offered back from us. These make up our Christian ethos. And it all begins, number one, with glory to the sovereign. Glory to God in heaven. The word glory in verse 11 is doxa. It means glory, dignity, praise, or worship. Worthiness that we place in him. Simply put, glory belongs to the Lord and to the Lord alone. There is no glory in mankind. There's nothing glorious about our sinful race. The only thing that's glorious about us is that we were created by God and that we can be redeemed to God in this life. Glory here is to the sovereign. The song of the saints here in heaven as we take the crowns that we've earned on this earth and give them back to him. As we've lived out our ethos in the life that we have been given. As we lay them back down at his feet is only first for his glory. Amen. 
All other glory, and friend, is, is vain. You can't glory over your spouse or your children. You can't glory over your job. You can't glory over your possessions. You can't glory over your position. You can only glory in the fact that Christ saved you because God himself created you. That's your only glory. You're made for his pleasure. The angelic and human hosts of heaven will forever be glorifying, uh, be glorying in God to the fullest. And so we find that there's two things we should glory in as we understand this phrase, glory. Letter A is the glory of his will. God has a will. Uh, we argue often in the theological circles, does God have a perfect will and a permissive will? God has a will, and that is for you to obey him today. Stop worrying about if you're in the perfect or permissive will of God. Just find the path back to being in obedience to him today, wherever you are. We bring glory to God, the sovereign God of heaven, when we glory in his will for us, and that is to obey his word. By the way, we know that God has a will that is manifest on this earth. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, Usward, not what? Willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We know then that the glory of God's will is that he wants mankind redeemed. Purchased back by the blood of Jesus Christ. He is long-suffering to usward. That is his will for you this morning. God's will was and is for mankind to dwell with him and to be in an intimate relationship with him. Sin mars the glory of God in the race of mankind. Right. And the more you sin, the more you are muddying the waters, the more you are ruining his creation and purpose. It was not and never will be God's will to have sin in his presence. Right. So to glory in sin is to do the opposite of glorying in God and glorifying God. God's will is that all men everywhere be saved. But he leaves that to our choice. What a sovereign God he is. That he's not challenged or bothered in his will. That he leaves it up to our will to receive that plan of salvation. That perfect gift of salvation. The highest glory that God himself can receive is when a sinful human being, man, woman, boy, or girl, will of their own volitional will turn by faith to him. Oh, what glory there is in the will of God at that point. What glory there is in the person of God at that point. It is then by turning in faith to him that we join this heavenly choir and we'll find ourselves, I believe, in verse number 11 of Revelation chapter 4, singing praise and glory, worshiping for the rest of eternity, the great God of heaven in his triune person. It's how Jesus Christ, our Savior, can say, thy will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. It's God's will that men would be saved. Here's how he closes the entirety of his book in Revelation 22 and verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. There's the glory of his will, but let her be there's the glory of his wisdom. Why are we glorifying God? Because he's the all-wise God. He's the omniscient God. 
Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will not, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. In other words, he, in wisdom, created this world. But mankind, in their own foolish wisdom, decided, we don't need him anymore. By wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, and the Jews a stumbling block unto the Greeks or those who are wise in this world, foolishness. But in them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men. May I say to you this morning, we are to live a life upon the value, upon the creed that God is going to be glorified in my life because he has a good and perfect will and because he has unmatched wisdom that we can live by. The wisdom of God cannot be explained, but it can be lived and it can be exampled by us. We glory not in our wisdom, but in God's wisdom. The prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 55 and verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. If you were to read Isaiah 55, Isaiah's prophecy, just before these two verses, we would find that we are to seek the Lord while he may be found. And that we should forsake our wickedness and return to the Lord. If you are here this morning and you are living in your own wisdom, turn from it today. It will not help you. It will only harm you. We're to glory and bring glory to the sovereign king of heaven, God himself. We are to glorify our sovereign God every day. It must be the first part of our Christian ethos. Next, we find we are to honor the Son. We're to give honor to the Son. Glory to the Sovereign Father. We are to give honor to the Son, Jesus Christ. The word for honor here is the word value or esteem or count precious to us. How much in your life do you honor what Christ did for you? This is the difficulty that we have in churches that tell you, you can come to Christ however you are. I preach that. I believe that. Where we would divide from many churches is once you're saved, they would say, and you go on living how you want because God loves you. And the answer is there is no honor in that. It would be akin to asking a Marine to disregard everything he's learned in his training, to disregard everything that that drill instructor Kindly or not so kindly put into his mind on that day. We're to honor the Son. The Bible says here that we will be singing, Thou art worthy of what? Glory and honor. If he's worthy of it then, is he not worthy of it now? Amen. The answer is, of course he is. The honor that we give can be to the Father, but for us, the honor really rests in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we find letter A, we honor his way. How are we to honor Jesus Christ? We honor his way. 
John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, destruction, the Bible says. But the way of Jesus Christ is one that is not only honoring, but honorable to walk. There are not many roads to heaven. There is one. And it is by way of Jesus Christ. That way was made possible by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. Religion tries to make you good enough to go to heaven, and you never will be. You cannot be good enough. You're naturally a sinner, and you cannot take away your natural man. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, died for your sins, and he alone provides a way back into a relationship with him. Romans chapter 5 is a great memorial of the love of God, the agape love that God has for us. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, the Bible says this, For when we were yet without strength, in due time, or at the perfect time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure, or perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. Those are the ones, by the way, in that verse, that we commemorate, that we memorialize today. They have died for us. By the way, that means they are deeming us good people. We ought to be good people because of the sacrifice they made. Verse 8 goes on, but God committed or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were the enemy, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. It's not just the death of Jesus that's important. It's the life, the resurrection life of Jesus that's important. That's the way that we want to honor. Not only so, but we also join in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement, Paul writes. Christians in the book of Acts, in chapter 9, chapter 19, chapter 22, and chapter 24, were called people of the way. And that was the way, or is the way of Christ, the way of the Nazarene, they would say. You and I today are to be people of the way. We must be noted as different. We must be known as different because we have met Jesus Christ as our Savior. Our lives are to be lived in honor of his way. We honor the Son's way, but we also, let her be, honor his word. Christ earned salvation for every man. We ought to live in honor of that free gift that has been given to us. Freely received, freely give. Yet far too many Christians live lives spitting upon the privilege of freedom and liberty they have from sin. Just as many Americans' lives are lived spitting upon the American ethos and the memory of those who have died protecting it. By the way, those who have died to defend the freedom, even as I like to say sometimes, the freedom to be an idiot... They would gladly give their lives to preserve the American ethos, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Salvation for us as Christians is free, but it came at a high cost. And we must honor the work that he does for us. Romans chapter 6, a lengthy passage, but I'll read it quickly. Verses 1 through 12 says this, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid... 
How shall we that are dead to sin, that's those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ, we've chosen to die, willfully die to sin and be alive to and in Christ, live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Or as he walked about in his life from the resurrection, we ought to walk around in the life of resurrection living. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, or from now on, we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. In other words, perpetually liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon or account, think in your own mind, and account for these things, ye yourselves to be dead indeed into sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice the last verse here in verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. If we have a good Christian ethos, we will bring glory to the sovereign king of heaven, God the Father himself. And we will honor his son because of the way of salvation and the work of salvation that he gives to us. Our Christian ethos calls us to bring glory to our sovereign, then honor the son. And finally, we find in this verse to have power or the power of the spirit of God. Glory, honor. And power. The word power here is where we derive our English word today, dynamite. We used to have a teacher in high school that everything they said was dynamite. It lost its power, pun intended, on me. But the idea of dynamite is it's explosive. When someone pushes the plunger and the dynamite explodes, everybody knows it. It has an effect. It's dunamis, force. Miraculous power, the abundance of ability or might would be how this is used. When we honor and glorify our God, power, explosive, demonstrative power, will be manifest in us in the earth. It will be seen. There is no doubt the family who makes glorifying and honoring the Father and the Son priorities in their homes, individuals in their own lives making those priorities, will accomplish this final ethical outflowing of power being demonstrated. We know letter A, his powerful ability. His powerful ability. The Spirit's presence brings the Spirit's power. The more filled with God's Holy Spirit we are, the more ability to honor Christ and glorify the Father that we have. The Holy Spirit enables us as we let him enable us. Romans 8, verses 1 through 6 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law, that is the law of Moses, could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Notice, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Amen. Christ did the work, but the Spirit of God does the enabling for us. 
For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. Who doesn't want life and peace? We all do. And yet so often we just walk after our old sinful flesh. I don't want to live like that book. I don't want to live like the Bible says. I don't want to live what the preacher just said. I don't want to live what God's encouraging me to do. Then you're choosing death and chaos. And it's rampant all around us. To live and to walk in the Spirit is life and peace. It is a matter of walking after the Spirit that we receive the ability or enabling of the Spirit. We find his powerful ability is admonished, but then secondly, his powerful assistance is seen. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive from us in our manner of living glory and honor and power. Can we give any power to him? No, but he will give us infinite power day by day. Through enabling and ability and through assistance. Two ways in which God assists us daily. His Holy Spirit indwelling us. God the Holy Spirit first assists our prayer life. Romans chapter 8 verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Have you ever been there, by the way? And I got a big burden. Maybe it's a health burden. We've had several in our church family who have had health needs, immediate needs, emergency needs in recent days. Sometimes we don't even know what to say. We just know that we need to say something to God. For we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He knows the matter upon your heart. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The assistance that we receive, the powerful assistance we receive, is that the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, helps our prayer life. May I say to you, if you don't pray except for rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, you're in trouble. And that's how a lot of Christians are. Yeah, I pray three times a day. I'm just like Daniel. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Good luck. You are literally saying to the Holy Spirit of God, I've got today, I don't need your help. Right. Who would do that? And yet we do it every day. Right. The Christian ethos is that I understand where my power and enabling comes from. It's through the assistance and the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. The second thing we find that he assists us in is our Bible study. God, the Holy Spirit, assists us to know what is true, what is real, what is helpful. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 15 says this, But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Stop and ponder that verse for a second. God's got some great things planned for you. He loves you. I'm getting so loud, I'm ringing. Bible goes on and says this, but God has revealed to them, uh, them unto us by his spirit, in verse number 10. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Have you ever had a time where you say, I, I know that's in the Bible, I just don't know where it's at in the Bible. 
And then as you think and you pray and you contemplate, you go, oh, yeah, that's where it's at in the Bible. Did that just come through your intuition? Or did that come through the Spirit's inspiration and revelation that he gives to you? For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, the ability to think as the Logos, the living word Jesus Christ thought. So we can say that our Christian ethos is to glorify, honor, and live in the Spirit's power until the day we find ourselves singing this very song in heaven. On this Memorial Day as we close, this weekend, may we never forget the 1,304,702 service members who have died from the Revolutionary War to the wars in Afghanistan. Think of that number. 1,304,702. Defending our ethos. What we believe. Who we are. But equally so on this Memorial Weekend, May we as different homes, Christians, living in a fallen world, never forget the one who died for us and the Christian ethos, not just the American ethos, but the Christian ethos of glory, honor, and power that we are to live by day after day. Would to God we would have some ethos in our home. Father, help us as we